Hey there, we're the West Slot Pirates, and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports, with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above, as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. And I'm Eric Skoskowspel. Uh, John is off this week. He uh, is celebrating this week by... He went to Disney World. Uh, <laughs> I wonder if he's going to buy a uh, UFC National Championship t-shirt. I, I hope he does. I think that would be fantastic. Um, they, they were his squad last year in our little uh, uh, pick'em challenge. Yeah, I really hope he does. I mean, that, that Orlando's team... Uh, we should we should give him a holler on that and uh, make that happen. But uh, yeah, so cats win. Um, Northwestern, your federal American mortgage, whatever, blah, 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 music city bowl uh, champions. Uh, cats beat Kentucky twenty four to twenty three in what was the weirdest, bizarrest, dumbest, most confusing awful yet exciting emotional i mean this game went all over the place emotionally um temperature wise temp- yeah it was freezing uh and at the end of the day we come out with a win on the field but uh moving forward at least for next year there is some way more questions than we had going into this game. Um, you know, we, we knew we were losing Justin Jackson and the rest of the seniors, but uh, with the Clayton Thorson injury um, moving forward, a lot more questions uh, going into next year. Well, and, and maybe we start there because that's, I mean, that's obviously the biggest negative coming out of this game is the biggest downer. Um, I think there's, you know, we can we can hem and haw, and I, I know we're going to rehash some of the, the nitty-gritty of the game in the back and the forth, and, and especially our mental state being there um, and experiencing it firsthand, which was fantastic, and I'm really stoked that uh, we both made, made the trek. It, it was, it was, it was so much fun. It was so much fun. By the way, I was really sore the next day from all the first down motioning and all, like, the egging on the crowd to make more noise and... Um, for those who have who have watched a football game with me, I'm a very uh, active participant at Northwestern games. Um, I may be like comatose by comparison at non-Northwestern games, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I was sore the next day. My voice was thrashed for for about 48 hours. Anyways, oh, it, it took me a good two days before I could even you know speak, you know, in, in a normal voice after that game. It was you know, especially after you know starting to fire up the crowd after the Thorson injury. I tweeted at one point, and that was probably where we made the most noise. Um, I tweeted at one point, I think around like halftime, that like the, this game was was ass crazy, um, but we were having a great time. And I got at least a couple responses that were like, "Are we? Are we really having fun with this?" And that's of course reference to Thorson. Um, he, you know, he goes out for a for a halfback option pass back to the QB. It was executed perfectly by Northwestern. A, a beautiful throw by um Larkin yeah yeah Jeremy Larkin and um Thorson hauls it in and you know gains a few extra yards and just there was nothing weird or awkward or nasty about the tackle um his I think his his cleats just got caught and his knee got got torqued and as we learned what yesterday uh it is an ACL tear um and 
frankly, I, I actually give the Kentucky guy credit for like actually st- for staying home. I mean, uh, if he if that linebacker doesn't stay back, you know, Thorson's scoring on that. Mm-hmm. So you know, heads up play by the the linebacker, but. Yeah, no, very, very true. Um, and it just, you know, it's funny. You saw this play in about six or seven other bowl games um, and often worked, you know, uh, very, very well uh, for a lot of different teams. But the real bummer here, obviously, you know, Thorson going out at that moment in the game, Cats were up. Cats were down 7-3. Yeah, seven this three was right, at that right point, before yeah. our first touchdown. And... I don't think any of us felt good about what it meant for our chances in the game, but coming away from the game, you know, now knowing that it is an ACL tear, he's most likely not going to be back next season. Um, or if he is at, at least, at least for the start of the season, I mean, yeah, that, cer- certainly for the start of the season and whether or not he ever gets to a hundred percent, or if he decides to try and take a medical red shirt next year and then come back the following year. I mean, there's just, there's a lot of questions, and um, we're not going to get any answers for about nine months. Yeah, I mean that the ACL recovery is at least six to nine months. Um, you know, he's having uh, he's doing like two to three weeks of of pre-surgery rehab, um, and then having the surgery in the middle of the middle of January. And you know, we're not going to know anything until you know at, at least July, August. And that is the absolute earliest. You know, let's let's be honest. We're not going to know anything until the home opener. Well, that that is true. That is true. Um, and, I mean, and, what what we might know is that he's definitely not back. If you know, if he's not practicing, if he's still in rehab, etc. Um, but all we, you know, you just have to go back a, a few short years to when Dan Persa was coming off his Achilles injury, and there was a lot of subterfuge and. Um, like no transparency from uh, the football staff or the athletic department around Persa's status. And, and we don't, we don't know if he had a setback along the way. I think, I think it was reported later that, you know, he was, he was working towards coming back. Things were going well. And then he had a setback in training camp, but they were the, the, the perspective was, wow, we might see him game one and we didn't see him till week five. And he wasn't the same all season. And honestly, like if he does, if Thorson does come back next year, and I, we're we're putting the cart so far before the horse yeah. here, I mean we're getting into really deep speculation here, and I, I I don't want to go too far down that hole, but it's like let's you know if he's not ready, don't push him because yeah. you know let him come but like let him recover, let him get to a hundred percent, and I I think that he's got enough film that NFL teams will be able to get a look at him. You know, he'll be able to, if, if he is going to go to the next level, which I, I think pretty much everyone thinks he'll have an opportunity to do so. Um, and if Trevor Simeon can get drafted after, you know, coming off an ACL tear, uh, you know, in similar circumstances, you know, Thorson will be able to after a much longer rehab time. So, you know, if, if that's the way the timetable works out, don't rush Thorson back. Let him recover to where he's at least a hundred percent or as close to it as, as is viable. And if that means applying for that medical six, uh, medical red shirt, go down that road. And, and I, I don't think that that is a bad thing, 
But again, this is speculation for for down the road. I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves here. Um, you know, well, we're we're gonna save the the conversation around you know the 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 broader quarterback conversation of of what we might be looking at. We're gonna save that for next week when John's back. Yeah, I just kind of want to bring it back to to the game and kind of where you know where our heads are at. You know, as, as we see Thorson go down and you know. I know from from where we were sitting, uh, you know, watching that hit and just immediately, I think the entire stadium saw the hit, and everyone, like the entire stadium, kind of was took a gasp, and then the replay happened and everyone took a bigger gasp, and like I think everyone knew the to at least some point the severity of of what had happened, and you know we're thinking okay. All right, Matt Alvidi, um, four-star recruit. I know he's had his injury issues as well. You know, five years. Let let's you know can can you finish what you know had so much potential of a Northwestern career? Here's your opportunity to you know finish your career with a bang. You know, let's it hasn't gone the way he's wanted. And, you know, there's been a ton of stories written about Alvidi and how you know he could he could have left. This year, he could have gone to play somewhere else and you know, actually gotten on the field, uh, but he came back. He came back for that that fifth year. He could have he could have left, but he didn't. And, this was yeah, and like that he he came back and he played that last year, and for him to be able to come out and you know take you know take the reins for three quarters and do what needed to be done to lead the cats to the victory was huge. There have been, as I think back over my 20 years of watching Northwestern football, there, there've been a solid handful of, you know, relief quarterback appearances that I can recall. Um, the ones that kind of jumped to mind are Evan Watkins stepping in for, uh, for Dan Persa after he was injured. Um, the really ill-fated uh, end to a game at Indiana in which Mike Kafka stepped in for an injured Brett Bazinet in yeah. 2005. That was that might be the most epically horrible for that, anyone that who was, was not not great. Anyone who wasn't watching, we were <laughs> we were basically beating Indiana, and um, all we had to do was run out the clock, and, and Baz gets injured late in the fourth quarter and, and Sammy correct me if I'm remembering any of this wrong, but um essentially on Kafka's first snap, he fumbles the ball and then manages to like bat it backwards like an extra twenty yards. Yeah. There was like some sort of backward pass thing it was it was like flipped around. It became like fourth and thirty five. It took Northwest like took Northwestern deep back into their own territory and then they had to punt and then IU drove down and scored and won the game. And it was just I remember being in a bar just slack jawed, uh, astounded at, at the outcome and how um disastrous it was. But um there's other you, you can go far you can go farther back in time to um uh Gary Danielson's kid coming in for Kustak a couple different times. Um, the 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 year 2012 being one of the worst, where where Brett Bazinet as a freshman looks awful, gets injured, gets replaced with um, 
I forget who the who the second backup was, but he looks terrible. He gets replaced by Andrew Webb, who looks awesome for two plays and then gets injured. Uh, like that season was a disaster uh, thereafter. It's just like this usually doesn't go well for Northwestern and for Alvidi, who was so heralded coming in and then has the couple times that he has had an opportunity to get into the game has been very limited conservative play calling, not a lot of opportunity to throw the ball when he has thrown the ball has not looked great doing it. Uh, he did, you know, he, he looked decent at the very end of the Penn state game. You know, he, he managed to log a couple touchdowns in, in garbage time um, earlier this season or last. And for him to, to, to give this kind of performance to have the, um, the composure, uh, you know, not, not in a true road game, but certainly not in a in front of a home a home crowd or even a, a a slight lean towards Northwestern. I mean, we were pretty well outnumbered by the Kentucky faithful uh, last weekend. So, and at, at at times, I mean, they weren't loud the whole time, but at times they got pretty loud. Yeah, they were feisty, and I, I have to say, like I I I spoke, um, I did not expect that, but. I, you know the proximity of this game to you know what is the the primary locale for the the Kentucky fan base. I think probably just made it too easy, and they're just they really traveled. I was I was pretty impressed. I have to say with um with how much blue I was standing waiting for you guys at the base of the pedestrian bridge coming across from from downtown Nashville and. It felt like, you know, eight out of every ten people were wearing blue. I don't think it was quite that lopsided in the stadium, but, um, yeah, I was impressed. But regardless, I mean, Alvidi to have that kind of performance in certainly the biggest game he's played in since his senior year in high school and the biggest moment, and uh, he he didn't throw an interception. Correct me nope. if I'm wrong on no, that. No, he, he didn't. Yeah, no, no interceptions, no fumbles. Um he was not a one-dimensional QB. He managed. Uh, he, he threw some nice balls. He did a fantastic job scrambling. Like it just, it was a really, a really gutsy, gritty, outstanding performance. And um, I don't think in the moment I really appreciated it as much as as I have started to uh, in the in the week after the game. I mean, four of eleven for fifty yards. I mean, so passing numbers weren't phenomenal, but. We weren't after Thorson went out. You know, we weren't a passing team from that point on. But he had a couple big ones. Like there, like there were a couple just like critical. I remember a couple third downs. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but you know, nine carries for fifty-four yards, and it was fifty-four. It was fifty-five yards. Uh, <laughs> let, let, we'll talk about that in a second. Um, but you know, the 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 real story of the day for the Cats was. Justin Jackson, 32 carries, 157 yards. Jeremy Larkin, 9 carries for 112. And Alvidi's uh, 54 yards on the 9 carries as well. We dominated the ball on the ground. We did. And we talked about it going in that we thought, you know, Kentucky's defense was, you know, in the 90s against both the run and the pass. We, We figured our coaching staff was going to focus on the running game. That's worked for us all season that, you know, bad rush D's we've been able to run against. Justin Jackson is a really, there's a reason that he is in the top 10, the top 10 all time of college football running backs, um, which is an amazing accomplishment. And congratulations to, uh, to Justin Jackson on, on that achievement, which he, he surpassed that threshold in this game. But 
you know, we thought that the opportunity would be there for him. I thought Larkin was spectacular. Um, his his speed was just such a, a great compliment to, to JJ all season long. And when uh, I, you know, credit to the coaching staff that when Thorson went down and we lost the the true threat threat of our passing game, and and let's and let's also mention Ben Bennett Skoranek went out early in the game as well. Um, yeah, after he got suplexed, like yeah, straight so, up suplexed by yeah. uh, the Kentucky cornerback, uh, and you know I I think. It, that was sort of the point that kind of started off this chippiness, if you will, the chippiness that's ter- that kind of escalated into the stupidity. Yeah, I Miss mean, Karanik barely played a quarter and still caught three balls for twenty-five yards. Um, we and we only had uh, nine completed passes for one hundred nine on on the game. So that just, I mean, that that tells you, I think, kind of all you need to know about how much the complexion of this game changed once Thorson went out with Skoranek out as well. Like our, our passing game was not the threat anymore and credit to the coaches that they managed to keep things, um, creative enough, maybe a little too creative, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, I like as a, in the moment. And, and I, I will still, I still, I described this to coworkers today. Like this was the worst coached and worst officiated game. I think I've ever seen on both sides both Kentucky and Northwestern were screwed at various points and, and both coaches made real boneheaded moves uh, along the course of the game. But overall, you know, stepping back, like when, when you think about losing, losing Thorson and how critical of an element he's been to the, the, the success of this team over the last three years, it's, it's kind of an astounding achievement that Northwestern was able to pull this out. Um, Tons of credit to the defense uh, for, you know, Stepping up, you know, they were able to, you know, they they gave up the the opening drive, right? So Kentucky gets the ball uh, to start the game. Boom, 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 down the field, throwing the ball uh, deep. And then after that first, you know, score, they don't score. They, they barely move the ball the rest of the first half. Uh, that, of course, is aided by the fact that Benny Snell got thrown out of the game. Uh, early in the second quarter, um, you know, when, of course, Kentucky loses their top offensive threat. Let's talk about our buddy Benny. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you you talk about, you know, the most poorly officiated game that you've ever seen. And, you know, we are unabashedly Northwestern fans, but this was the most ridiculous call. Um, all, well, one of the most ridiculous calls I've ever seen. Uh, matched only later by a, another ridiculous call. But, okay, so Benny Snell gets, you know, and to, to I, I'm not going to say to his credit, but, you know, there, you know the, the play was whistled dead, and uh, I, I believe it was Gaz, you know, did continue the, the process of the tackle. Um, and, you know, Snell was knocked down and, the the official goes to give him a hand up, and Snell's a little upset that you know he, Gaz had you know rode him to the ground. Okay, he's a little hot and swipes the official's hand away. You don't touch the official. I, I you know that is rule number one. Yes, it is absolutely ticky tack, and you, you know by the letter of the law that is that is you know you touch the official, you get thrown out of the game. No, I mean that. If, that's, 
if if that's all he did, it's it's absurd. I I choose to believe that um, something was said in the exchange, and anyone who is familiar with the movie Bull Durham, classic classic movie by the way that you must watch. Just get over the fact that you hate Kevin Costner and. If you don't like Susan Sarandon, I don't care. This is one of her greatest performances ever. Anyways, we learned that in minor league baseball, there's a particular word that if you if you direct this word at an umpire, you will get thrown out of the game. I choose to believe that Benny Snell used that word with the referee when he's trying to help him up. <laughs> um, I I mean like it, it's it's it, it was ridiculous. Here's where I get frustrated though. Dang, Nabbit, if Benny Snell wasn't tossed out, we would have won that game. Yeah, I'm not going to say that. You know, you you cannot say that. You know, we we held him to two and a half yards of carry while so, he was in the game. Not just two and a half yards per carry. He carried the ball six times for a total of 15 yards. With an 18-yard long. With an 18-yard long. We stuffed the crap out of Benny Snell and the run game for Kentucky this whole game because that's where our strength is on defense. And I just, yes, Kentucky would have been better off having him throughout the game, a hundred percent, because he's you know he he's a guy that can catch the ball as well. So you know, no doubt. But the notion that Kentucky would have won this game running the ball with Benny Snell is totally absurd. The other thing I'll mention and. I'm going to toot my own horn here. Sammy, who did I talk about in the preview in this receiver core for Kentucky? Uh, I believe you mentioned uh, Taven Richardson. He's 6'3". He's 215 pounds. He was their second leading receiver, and he's just a terrible matchup for our defensive backfield because we struggle with large physical receivers. The guy had five receptions for 89 yards. Uh, he was their leading receiver on Kentucky. They they threw it downfield to uh, – Kayun Ross as well. Um, Garrett Johnson did not do a whole lot. He's he was their leading receiver on the season. Uh, I know you know. Uh, I think Ross was there was effectively their tight end uh, for the game. But you know he's six six two twenty five. Like big receivers hurt us. And I would argue if anything, if anything, losing their starting running back forced Kentucky to think more about throwing the ball downfield as opposed to running. I thought that that's where they would end up regardless. And it's what brought them back in this game and almost allowed them to win um, was their ability in the passing game. Steven Johnson's ability to avoid the rush. He did a great job in the, in the pocket. It wasn't, it wasn't an amazing game. Like his stats, he threw two picks. That was what really, really hurt Kentucky in the end. But um, in terms of, of matchups, like the receivers were the problem and, you know, somehow Northwestern found a way. But the Benny Snell thing had had very very little to do, in my opinion, with who won or lost this game. Yeah, and you know if, if you're gonna whine if you're gonna whine that Benny Snell got tossed out and they should have won because of that, then can you know we have the complete counter to that? Patty Fisher got tossed from the game as well, so that that's your counterpoint. Mm-hmm. Yep, in, on, in, on on a horrible targeting. That call. was the the weakest. Tar- I mean. We we got hit with some weak weak targeting calls uh, this year. Um, you know the the, uh, the Jared McGee uh, one against Duke was a weak one, but not as weak as the as Patty Fisher call. Um, that was at just I I went back and watched the the 
uh, broadcasts of it uh, yesterday and you know, looking at the replays on TV, just this is a textbook tackle. And, you know, they are going to have to look at, uh, at targeting this off season and, you know, figure out, you know, how to enforce this in a way that you're being consistent. That I mean, is the, that is the biggest issue. And I think like, so there, Teddy Greenstein, among others, um, and I, I, I did not appreciate, uh, Teddy's perspective on a couple of targeting calls earlier in the season, but he rightly pointed out that Fisher put effectively the crown of his helmet into the sternum of the Kentucky player. The sternum, um, he, he didn't launch himself. He did like, by the by the strictest most rigid um you know baptist perspective uh, and reading of the targeting rule yes this was technically targeting um because he he like the crown of his helmet was the was the first point of contact with the guy's sternum or something and and yes they're trying to they're trying to change this to benefit the tacklers not just the tacklees uh, in college football, because this is, you know, it's not good for Patty Fisher's head for him to, to hit a guy like that. The problem is that this never, ever gets called, ever gets called. And it was so clearly a makeup call for the Snell uh, ejection. It happened, you know, what, two series uh, later in the game. It was not it was not flagged on the field. No, they, it was the flag on the play was uh, illegal hands to the face on the offense, and like they're marching that off, and then like thirty seconds later, I think they got a buzz from replay to go take a look at it. It was, it was. I felt like this referee crew spent the entire game trying to make up for the last mistake that they made. Because so, shortly, so that shortly thereafter, they did not call a late hit out of bounds on what may or may not have been a late hit on, on Gaziano taking down the quarterback in the second which, half. They, which they, which resulted in uh, injury to Johnson, which caused an eruption from the uh, Kentucky bench, which then caused a flag to be thrown on the Kentucky mm-hmm. bench, which moved Kentucky out of field goal range, which, you know, Kentucky would, you know, was trying to get a field goal at the end of the half, uh, which... The, the, then in the third quarter, they did not call what was very clearly a helmet to helmet targeting call uh, that should have been called on one of, of Kentucky's defensive players when they, when they um, put the crown of their helmet on Riley Lee's head, uh, which is very explicitly the tar- the way the targeting rules written. So I just like going back to the Patty Fisher thing, like it's th- this rule has been so poorly called all year long and consistency to your point, Sam is, is spot on. And I get like the thing that makes me crazy is that I believe in the concept. I absolutely believe in the concept that we should be protecting these players heads. We should be doing everything we can to try and get certain types of hits out of the game to, to, uh, to minimize or not minimize, but to at least reduce some of the risk that it poses and teaching the right way of tackling. But to do to do it so inconsistently where you know obvious dangerous hits are not called and other you know very innocuous but technical hits are are flagged it's just it's it's terrible um 
It's it could, really, could, really a terrible uh, development. Because if you can't be consistent, you can't teach. Yeah, very true. I mean, it's like, and like if you, if you can't say this is good, this is bad every single time, then you know you're you can't you can't teach the kids this is how to do it properly. Where's and, college football's version of Brendan Shanahan? I need some player Department of Player Safety <laughs> videos. Exactly. Um, where where to from here? Let's, uh, let's talk about the coaching decisions. Let's talk about some coaching decisions. Oh, Absolutely. Boy. Um, okay, where shall we begin? Uh, do you have any issues? I mean, do you want to second guess the the gadget play, the throwback to Thorson? No, no, no I, 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 it was, I, I, I agree. I, I'm fine. I'm fine with that. It was executed the, perfectly. I, you know, I want our coaches to go for it in a bowl game. I think when we get to next week uh, and we have John back and we start talking about the ramifications, I think, I think this bowl win was so important for Northwestern. I'm glad we went for it. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that like injuries happen in football and you can't, play this game to avoid injuries like you won't like that's i don't i don't think that works um honestly i think you're probably more likely to be injured if you, if you play it tentatively um in in some in some aspects so i've i've no problem with that play call or the execution i thought it was it was perfectly fine yeah i completely agree um the other uh non-quarterback passing play uh i i believe i have a few more issues with um and i'm I'm talking about the fourth and one from the two yard line um when you know i I believe fourth quarter we're in here when um this was right right before we end up getting the pick six um i we we have a fourth and fourth and one at the two and instead of Pounding it up the middle, you know, I, I I'm fine with the uh, decision to go to go for it here. You know, um, we went for it on fourth down a lot, and I for the most part I agreed with the decisions to go for it on fourth down. Um, you know, we're trying to win the bowl game. Uh, losing the bowl game isn't that big of a deal. Yeah, uh, winning the bowl game is good for the program. Losing it doesn't hurt the program, right? Just kind of fundamentally. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, so. You know, I, I'm okay getting aggressive. You know, in, in terms of like going, going for, uh, you know, going for it on fourth down and whatnot. But fourth and one at the two yard line, and you're running a gadget play, Riley Lease throwback, you know, you know, th- toss when you're a Big Ten program, you have a the number 10 all-time running back in college football history. And you can't get one yard. You don't even have to score. You have to get one yard. What are you uh, doing running a gadget throw play with Riley Lee's throwing? What's, well, what's, what is that? I just, it was, it was a very ill-conceived and, and Fitz even, even admitted in the post game, like that was a bad, it was a bad decision. It was a bad call. It was not, it was incorrect for so many reasons. And I mean, number one, and I, I, I bristle a little bit with, with the like, Oh, you're a big 10 team. You should be able to get one yard. Cause there've been plenty of years when we couldn't get that one yard, sure. especially not at the goal line, but it has, 
that power set where we have um, two superbacks and Justin Jackson with no lead blocker has actually been really effective this year. Yeah. In the last two seasons, that was a, a disaster of a play for Northwestern. But this year against offenses not named Penn State or Wisconsin, or defenses not named Penn State or Wisconsin, that's been a really effective play. We generally have converted in those in those situations. And to um to not put the ball in JJ's hands or even better to like do the QB sneak um because that's been really effective for us over the last three or four years as well. Now granted LVD is not, you know, the 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 large individual that uh, Thorson is, but I mean, if you really want to get tricky there, like maybe do some wildcat or maybe put Garrett Dickerson under center. I don't know. Like there's things you can do to be creative and put Kentucky on their heels a little bit in that situation without doing a slow developing, um, play to get half a yard. Yeah. All right, so that that is bonehead play number one. Um, let's see where what's bonehead play number two? Going for it on fourth down. Uh, Kentucky's got all the momentum. Um, you know, we're in the fourth quarter. They, you know, our offense has kind of stalled out. Uh, Kentucky's offense has started, you know, clicking. Uh, our defense is getting tired. Um, you know, th- we've started, we've gotten to the point in the game. They're calling timeouts. They only have one timeout left. First down pretty much seals it. Uh, fourth and one from the 39, I believe it was. Uh, we run the quarterback sneak instead of punting. Thoughts. I don't know. I have a lot of mixed feelings about this one. Um, it harkens back a little bit to uh, to some of the decisions that Auburn Outback Bowl many many years ago. Okay. And I, I guess I'll put it this way. I really, I really think the, I think everybody in that second half wanted to get off the field and just be done with this game. It was um, cold. It was. It was cold. You'd already seen one really bad knee injury. Um, the Pac-12 officials, I think, were they just under, wanted to go home. They wanted to go home. Yeah, and so like I get it. Get the yard, game over. Um, so I can't. In the moment, I was tearing my hair out. In the moment, I was losing my mind. What are we thinking? What are we doing? Um, in retrospect, I'm kind of like, eh. Well, I guess because. You also probably are thinking that Kentucky's thinking the same way, and if they do score, you know, maybe maybe they go for two, and you're, you know, in that kind of situation. But I, I don't know. At, at the same time, th- this is such a departure from the fits that that we've known for the last decade. Like he he really went all in on fourth downs this year. I think for the majority of the year, Northwestern has been in the top ten in terms of um, number of fourth down attempts. Uh, if if not in the top five in all of college football, this is a real big departure from fits of the last uh, ten years. Yeah. So, I you know maybe maybe he swung a little too far in this direction. Uh, maybe it, it, been... it, except except here's the thing though, Alvidi made the first down. He got the yardage, and you know how I know 
because the Jumbotron operator <laughs> freeze-framed the shot of Alvidi making the yard to gain, put a circle on the ball with on the yard to gain, and left it there. One of what? many such in instances of the Jumbotron operator had running a little loose with the way they ran their replays, shall we say. They probably thought they were trying to help Kentucky because the operator was very clearly trying to help Kentucky earlier in the game on uh, uh, on Kyle Cairo's pick six. But um, I don't know. Like, he, he got it, right? But bad spots are, I don't know, a part of the game. I don't know that you should make play calling decisions based on the potential for a bad spot. But there's just, there's so many things that can go wrong on a fourth and one at your own 35 or whatever it was. See, here's, here's the thing though. But I, here's, here's another, okay. here's another fourth and one. King Coulter bobbled a snap yeah. and didn't get the fourth and one against Ohio state, but maybe almost got it. So I, like it's, I, there's just so much that can go wrong in that moment. And I guess, I guess there's plenty that can go wrong with a punt, right? The punt can get blocked. The punter can drop it. Um, it just, all things being equal at the end of it, I'm like, you know what? It was fine. If we had lost the game on a two point conversion, I would have been frustrated, but I also probably would have left the stadium thinking, well, shit, if Thorson hadn't been injured, we probably would have won this game by 20 points. Yeah. I was actually okay with going for it at that point because we get one yard. The game is over. We win. Um, we don't get the yard. Our defense, we've been riding our defense all year. That is the strength of our team, especially with Thorson out. We've been riding our defense all year. Trust our defense. Yeah, we're tired. Just get a stop. And, you know, I, I, and I'm actually kind of, I, if I'm Kentucky, I play for overtime because I don't, you know, I don't see, if I'm Kentucky, Northwestern's not going to score in overtime. That's that's the thing I'm thinking. Like that, that was my biggest quibble with with Kentucky's approach. I I I didn't think Kentucky had a very good game plan coming in. Um, they didn't really they didn't really abandon the run until the third quarter, uh, in which they scored a touchdown almost immediately upon abandoning the run. But um, I just I don't think I think they came in and tried to play their Kentucky game, which. Um, Ultimately, would not have worked for them had Thorson stayed healthy, et cetera, et cetera. I just, I, I don't, I don't think they had a good, great, great game plan. I think that um, I thought they should have used Johnson more uh, on the ground. Uh, although perhaps he was dinged up and and they didn't they didn't want to do that. But um, the, the the other interesting thing, you know, we talked about uh, about sack differential and both teams had two sacks. I didn't feel like we were getting a lot of pressure all game. No, we, we, I, we really didn't bother him that much all game. And I certainly felt like by the end of it, cause I mean, the other thing we like after Patty Fisher got tossed, we were down Patty Fisher and Nate Hall, who I guess got injured in, in bowl practice. We certainly weren't going to be bringing a lot of heat with our linebackers, uh, based on, uh, you know, the, 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 inexperience that we were playing there. I mean, we, we had Warren Long come on a couple of uh, zone blitzes and, and he did some, some, I thought Warren Long had a 
spectacular game. Long, yeah, Long looked great. But, you know, the, the defense felt gassed uh, at the end of the game there. And without our starting QB, now granted Alvides played, you know, three quarters of the game and has looked decent doing it. But if I'm Kentucky, I, I feel like I can, I can hold Northwestern to a field goal and I can get a touchdown in overtime. Um, and, you know, c'est la vie. Uh, well, I, I'll take it, right? I'll reap the, the rewards of that. Um, I'm happy it worked out the way it did. It, it feels a little bit like a crapshoot, but sometimes bowls go that way. I yeah. know we've been on the other side of that coin plenty of times. Missouri and the Alamo Bowl comes to mind. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. One, one last uh, questionable coaching decision, and I'm, I'm interested to, to hear what, what your take is on this. Kentucky scores. Um, they're going for two. Okay, gutsy call on their part. There's 37 seconds left. We still have three timeouts. Um, we call we call one timeout. Okay, set, you know, set the make sure our you know we see what they're doing. You know, we see their lineup. We reset our defense. We call another timeout. Now, if they happen if they make the two-point conversion that leaves our offense with only one timeout with 37 seconds left is that just hamstringing us a little too much i maybe um in the aftermath of the game i think i could be persuaded that that was not the best decision in the moment it felt like that two-point conversion was the game yeah, if Kentucky got it, they were going to win. You know, I don't think like Alvidi might have been able to drive us for for a field goal shot. The the temperatures, et cetera. You know, we've we've had ups and downs with our field goal kicking this year. I just, I I, I think it was all or nothing on that two point conversion, and I think it was. Um, I th- I think that was a fine decision to to be all in on that play. Um, Kentucky went all in. So we did too. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm not sure uh, one way or the, I mean, I, I know uh, the guys on inside and you wrote a column um, kind of grading the bonehead, you know, coaching decisions. Um, and they, they called the second time out, like off the charts bonehead. Um, and I, I don't know that I agree with that because, you know, ex- I, I'm kind of with you. It's like, that you know, you know, everyone is all in on that one play, and and you know, they they decided that this is the one play to decide the game, and if if that's how they were going to play, we're going to play the same way. Well, and the strategy there is, this is not like dumb icing the kicker. Uh, yeah, like like if Kentucky were trying to kick a game-winning field goal in that case, and Fitz is calling a second timeout. I would I would be like, dude, don't even call the stupid first time out. You're just giving the guy more time to like get settled and look at the turf and pick his spot and make sure he feels good about the kick. Especially because their kicker is damn good. Like, don't that 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 is one of my least favorite things is coaching coaches. You know, calling the timeout. I just think it's stupid. How, how many Except times when it have works. you? Well, how many times have you seen a kicker miss it on the first one and then get it on the second? I feel like I see that way more than the opposite. Somebody should do an analysis on this. Um, but the the point of calling 
that first time out, you know, Kentucky comes out probably expecting us to call a timeout. So we get a look at who their personnel is and what their, what their formation is. Um, our coaches are, are looking at, you know, all their notes and thinking about the film that they've watched. Like, Oh, what is, what is this? What is this play call likely to be? Call timeout. It, it, it gives you a little bit of a, all right, they're going to either going to come out in the same setup or they're going to bring out something different. And we get, you know, we've taken them out of their, their primary look. If Kentucky's being, you know, kind of gamesmanship, they maybe come out in one look expecting us to, to call timeout and they bring, they've, they've got, they've got a, a one B they've got a, a second plan on a, a, a play call that they want to run. Well, now we've seen their second formation. We call timeout again. And I, there's, you can argue that there's strategic value there, um, because it's you're seeing a different formation, you're seeing a different personnel grouping. I don't know what kind of changes Kentucky made between the first, uh, the first time they walked out there and the second. You know, if 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 they had swapped out, you know, uh, eleven personnel for twelve personnel or something like that, like that just makes you think differently about the type of play they're going to run or or uh, what checks and and what reads you need to have in place. So. I'm perfectly fine with the approach there. If it had been a field goal, I, it would have been the dumbest thing ever. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, the one, I guess the one last question I have uh, regarding the game is on the onside kick. I was a little surprised uh, that we didn't have at least one person back a little bit. Um, you know, I, I totally get, like, you, you got your hands team out, you know, for the onside kick, but... I, on the back of my mind, I was a little concerned that they were going to do exactly what they ended up doing was that, that pooch that kind of the medium kick over the, over the defensive line, um, and try to, try to, you know, get through and, and jump on it. It's hard, it's hard, much harder to get that, but, uh, you know, if you, if you just drop one person back there, and it ended up not being an issue, but I, I it seemed like we were ready for it. You know what I mean? Like, we maybe didn't have a guy back, but we had a guy like anticipating that move. Okay. Um, which I, you know, I, I talked about, I didn't think the Kentucky game plan was, was, was really great, but I, I thought generally with the exception of these weird, you know, boneheaded moves that Northwestern's game plan was pretty darn good. Um, and that the, the, the cats felt pretty prepared. They, they felt, um, they certainly didn't feel like they came out flat or uh without without a plan b um you know well, it, it, what, what it, kentucky did except for that very first drive of the game when it was just boom 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 it's like oh right okay <laughs> you know I, I that has happened that happened in northwestern several times this season and we'll we'll get into this a lot as we go into the off season but like michigan state did that to us um i want to say iowa did that to like teams had a lot of success on their first drive against northwestern's defense and a lot of times I think our D just needed an opportunity to um, get a feel for who they were up against and, you know, assess some of their reads and, and figure out where they were at. And, and I mean, against Kentucky, you saw it, right? Like they didn't score again till the first drive of the third quarter. And that's when they completely abandoned the run and went um, just all pass and all Johnson all the time. So uh, I I thought Northwestern this year showed a much greater propensity to adjust their game plan and their approach based on their opponent than they have in years past. And that was a pretty positive sign for me overall. Um, any other thoughts, uh, you know, just kind of 
you know, regarding the trip, you know, I, I know for me, it was absolutely awesome to just kind of be there. Um, you know, I, it was my first bowl trip since, uh, the, the game down to Houston against A&M. Um, you know, so this is my, my first bowl win, uh, that I've ever been to. So congratulations. Sam. Yeah. That, that was, that was really, really cool. It feels um, damn good. It really does. Uh, you know, for the first time ever, Northwestern is now on a bowl win streak. Whew. Three, <laughs> that, that, three of four, baby. Three of four. Yeah. Um, um, I'll just throw out, like, I thought, so this was, I think this is the seventh bowl game I've been to, um, which is, which is awesome. I've never made it to the Outback Bowl, but I went to a couple Alma Bowls, uh, the Houston Bowl you mentioned. Um, I was at the Gator Bowl back in 2012, which, which was wonderful. Um, as I told you guys then, I, uh, I definitely, I definitely got a bit misty at the end there. Um, when we finally, when we finally, won that first bowl game, uh, since, since 1949. So not that this felt anticlimactic because this game was like, we were all breathing such a sigh of relief at the end, but, uh, there is, there's something about the bowl atmosphere that I just, I really enjoy. And this, um, this was a fun one with the exception of the cold, the cold weather certainly took, took something away, but, um, I thought Northwestern had a great crowd. It was great to see some old friends and, uh, different folks in and amongst, you know, both the group we were sitting with and, uh, other folks that were, that were in the stands there on, on the Northwestern sideline. I thought, um, I thought the NU crowd was pretty decent, especially when you consider the, the, the temps and whatnot. Um, like I said, we were outnumbered by Kentucky, but not, not because we didn't show up, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, this, I, I, I can't encourage folks enough. Go go to the bowl games. I know I know John got to experience the uh, the pinstripe bowl last year and it was just a really exciting um fun event for him. He I don't think he'd been one to one since uh since the Alamo Bowl when we were in school against Nebraska. And I just it's it's a great way to, to support the team. We had the I you know, we do have to talk about one other thing, Sammy. <laughs> and that's that's. The I, I would I would say I was saving that for my final thought, but no. we, we we can go there now. Absolutely, we got to talk about the tent, <laughs> folks. The the, the injury so, tent, yes, is not just an injury tent. <laughs> no, it is not. It's where you go to pee, <laughs> and it was right in front of us, and it was amazing. Um, I, I, I Northwestern's players are so well hydrated. It's. It's really it's impressive. Incredible. It is really impressive. It's really impressive how well hydrated they are, especially but, um, you know in, in, into the second half, into the fourth quarter. Yeah, the hydration is definitely definitely there throughout the entire game. Really good work, guys. My God, though, will somebody get a GD trash can for the <laughs> P10? Like seriously, some poor schmo. It's his responsibility to take the. Gatorade bottle or cup or whatever receptacle is being used. Players, trainers, etc., are carrying. They're carrying it from what the the medical tent is at about the twenty five thirty yard line to so they're carrying it from the the tent to the garbage can at about the fifty. Bring a garbage can over to the tent. 
For the love of everything, holy, oh my god. Fitz, Fitz just poured his out. I mean, like, come and, on, like. And a bunch of guys were also pouring, just oh, pouring man. it out too, but. But I have to say, like, this was, this is one of those, so we were lucky enough to sit, uh, in the, in the very first row, and we had, we had a really big group, um, uh, that, that had ordered tickets. Uh, by the way, if anybody, you know, interested in, in, in bowl tickets getting in with, with the group in the, in, in the coming years, you know, let us uh, know. Shoot, Shoot us an email and, and, and we can hook you up. Um, but the reality is, is that we were, we were right there in the thick of it and we got a really, really great look at Northwestern sideline. We saw, you know, when Skoranek came off the field after, after being, um, I thought it was his leg, but maybe, maybe he, I'm pretty sure it was the head. He slammed his helmet down right in front of us. He got suplexed and like they were working on his neck and, or his head. I mean, he was moving gingerly. And so you know you're getting to see the the interaction of some of the sideline reporters as they're flitting in and out of 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 the team space, and then the the tent just became like great theater for us in the second half. And um, in and a like, way, in a way, it helped sustain us through the real dark times of that game. <laughs> and also, we got to see like Thorson come out on crutches and mm-hmm. you know, come out and, and be with the team for the for the second half. Mm-hmm. So that was that was really cool to see. It's always fun to see some of the interaction of the guys and it just, you know, it we were close to the action. We 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 got to yell at the ESPN uh camera truck thing down in front. That was okay, fun too. Okay, so an issue I have with that in every game that they are ever that they ever are at Ryan Field. Um there's always a monitor on the back of that, you know, cart. <laughs> So if the cart is in front of you, you can watch the monitor. The cart at Nissan Stadium does not have that monitor. So if the cart is right in front of your face, you're forced to watch the Jumbotron. Now, to their credit, the Jumbotrons at Nissan Stadium are very big. Big Jumbotrons. They are They are nice Jumbotrons. But uh, it's watching a Jumbotron, and you're there to watch. I mean, you're if you're sitting in the front row... At the thirty-yard line, you want to watch the game right in front of you, and you don't want to be looking through the cart of the camera. Come on, ESPN. Wouldn't it be more cost-effective? I mean, they had like five guys like running that thing back and forth, and I'm sure it takes a lot of gas and everything else. Like, wouldn't it be easier to just hook up a SkyCam on the sideline for every game? I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, anyways, um, we just I I think I think ultimately where where. Where I want to land here is that we had a buttload of fun. We had a lot of, um, we had a really good time. You know, screaming our heads off to support the team, to try to get the crowd fired up. Um, you know, chest bumping, waving, waving, the, waving the red, pi- the red waving pirate the red flag. pirate flag. We, we had we had a ball. Um, we, I, I, if if you saw us on the jumbotron waving the red pirate flag, shoot us an email, uh, shoot shoot us a tweet because we were on the jumbotron waving the red pirate flag. We we were now. I was not, uh, as Sam informed me afterwards. I did not do a good job of unfurling the red <laughs> pirate flag. I was just kind of grasping it in my enthusiasm and excitement. Um, we're working on it. It's, you know, it, it, it's a process. We've been around for a while, but we're still novices in some ways. So, um, <laughs> but it was it was. It was a really fun game, and I I can't encourage folks enough in future in future years to uh, to to take it in. At the same time, I know the watch party in Arlington Heights was good. A few uh, a few folks that that we hadn't anticipated showed up, so uh, we had a nice group to watch that game as well. Um, John can tell us more about that when he's uh, when he's back next week. But 
Uh, all in all, um, I don't know. I'll just I'll throw this out there. Like I'm feeling injuries and questions going into next season, notwithstanding. I I feel like I thought I would feel, you know, in in the in the the months, the weeks and months after the Gator Bowl, where it felt like Northwestern had finally arrived. We were bringing a lot of players back going into the next season. And then all of a sudden we had, you know, those two catastrophic years where we didn't even make a bowl game. This feels like I thought we should have felt a couple of years ago, that the the program has really established itself. We've won three bowl games in five years. We have, uh, or six years maybe. Um, We haven't, you know, we haven't knocked off a, a giant powerhouse or anything, but the the bricks are being laid the building blocks um continue continue to grow and 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 this athletic program continues to kind of check check off things on the list that have never happened before and that's just uh that's just a great feeling as a fan 10 win season with a bowl win has that ever happened before i the only other time i think it could have happened would have been the uh uh the 49 rose bowl i i don't have the records in front of me, but we won. We were we were ten and three in the Gator Bowl year. Were we ten and three in the Gator Bowl? I'm pretty sure. Okay, so maybe once or twice other has that ever happened. So very elite company. And I know Fitz was talking about that before the game. Uh, want to move on? Um, there's a, a lot to talk about. I, I don't want to you know whip through all of the other bowl games. Um, just there, there are so so many, and I, I think we'll talk. Uh, about that, I think more next week as, as we kind of give a, a retrospective on, on bowl season as we recap the national championship game. But we would be remiss if we did not talk about the, the two playoff games. Um, you know, the Rose Bowl and the Sugar Bowl. Uh, and, and, and before we do that, uh, I, you know, again, would be remiss if we didn't talk about, um, the Big Ten's bowl record. And we'll, we'll talk about this more next week with John back, but, uh, th- there's been an interesting, um, narrative out there that, you know, the Big Ten with their seven and one, uh, bowl record. Thanks, Michigan. Thanks not, for not, not a narrative. It's a hot take. There's nothing is, more than a hot take. Fair enough. Um, but that, you know, the Big Ten with their seven and one record, you know, it's, it's been grossly underrated and, and should be, you know, they're they're the best team out there. Guys, settle down. That, the, the hot, that take was a lot hotter before Michigan lost. A, that <laughs> that is true. And, and B, it's bowl season. And especially, like, you know, since last year and now even more this year as, you know, players are sitting out to, to prepare for the NFL draft. If you're not in the playoff, it is an exhibition. So you really can't you know, place, you can't read narrative into a conference's performance in bowl season. Like you can't, I mean, yeah, Big Ten, seven to one in the bowl season. Wonderful. Fantastic. Great for the Big Ten. You know, good, ended up being good matchups. Okay. A lot of things could have happened differently. I know before we hit record, we were going through a bunch of different scenarios on, um, if Ohio State had made the playoff, uh, a lot of things could have shifted around and, you know, it could have very easily been a four and four season with, uh, you know, a couple different matchups. Um, I, had we played Washington state instead of Kentucky, 
it, you know, the matchups are a little bit different. If Purdue is playing Kentucky instead of Arizona, if Iowa is playing Arizona instead of Boston College, you know, the matchups are everything and just kind of the way everything fell for us, it ended up being good. There's been seasons that the Big Ten has been a very powerful con- uh, conference and because the way the matchups fell, we've had a t- the Big Ten has had a terrible bowl season. That is not indicative of the quality of the conference as a whole. You look at the SEC. What have we said about the SEC all season? Top-heavy and mediocre uh, the rest of the conference. And how has that played out in bowl season? The, the, the middle of the conference, mediocre in bowl season, and top-heavy. An all-SEC national championship. Georgia and Alabama were the class of the SEC all year and were had been the class of college football all year and are now playing for the national championship. And I dare you to find anyone, anyone outside of Central Florida fans who can lo- really look you in the eye and say, these are not the two most worthy teams. The Georgia-Oklahoma game was phenomenal. It was amazing. And yeah, Oklahoma choked away an opportunity to play for the national championship game. They had every opportunity to put their foot on Georgia's throat and and take and just grasp, you know, take it and run with it. And they let Georgia hang around. And Georgia came back and they pounded the ball with uh, Chubb and Michelle, and they found like they found a way to uh, keep to contain Baker Mayfield, and you know some kind of questionable uh, offensive play calling in the second half, and even then there were a bajillion points in that game, and yet it was still an amazing game, double overtime, um, so much fun to watch. And Georgia comes out with the victory. Hell of a game. Yeah, it was it was a really good matchup. Probably the best Rose Bowl since um, last that, year. The, well, no, I'd say the best Rose Bowl since that champ- national championship. Um, last year was USC really good. I mean, it's up, last year was up there. Penn State last, USC was really good. The end of last year was up there. I just uh, there wasn't the back and forth. I mean, Penn State was kind of in control most of the game, and then USC kind of came storming back. Okay. I know the, the, to me the stakes just make this all the more impressive. Okay, um, you made the point earlier about bowl season and exhibitions, et cetera. Like Penn State USC last year was effectively an exhibition. This had a lot more riding on it. So I just I thought a um, couple thoughts. So a uh, I I don't want to hear any SEC fans talking about how the Big Twelve doesn't play defense because Oklahoma did exactly what they do to Big 12 defenses to Georgia's defense, uh, which was supposed to be tops in the nation. Um, the other thing is uh, props to Scuzz model, which picked, picked Georgia, also picked Alabama, and is sitting in the top 250 of uh, College Bowl mania right now. I just... Georgia ended up being just, you know, a tiny little bit better. And yeah, you know, there was, there's maybe some play calling stuff on, on Oklahoma, but the fact that they were able to respond down, you know, a a team, Georgia is a team that's primarily a running team. And 
has not been a high flying offense all season long. You know, they beat Notre Dame 20 to 19. Um, they kind of got blown out by, by Auburn in their regular season matchup. They, they turned the tables on that in the SEC, SEC championship, but they've not been what you would think of as a high flying offense outside of just their really powerful running, running attack. And to be down 31, 14, and come storm, you know, and come storming back against this this offense is really impressive. Um, kind of the best analysis I saw was uh, Chris Brown of Smart Football talked about how you know Nick Saban has said in the past that when he really gets under the gun, he basically he makes a comment something along the lines of you know you just gotta you gotta play gutsy football, and he goes to um, cover one man. You know he abandons some of his um, really. Uh, complicated zone uh, zone schemes and he just plays press coverage on the outside and mans up over the middle and puts more players in the box and that allows him to bring a little bit more pressure and hope that the other team doesn't hit on a bunch of big plays and that's exactly what Kirby Smart did in the second half this is a guy who has you know, learned from Saban as far back as uh, their national championship at LSU. He's been working with Saban, so um, I just like you know, they they shifted things up on Oklahoma. It took Oklahoma a while to to react and adapt, but by that time they had caught up, and that just that was a really impressive um, moment for me. That that against you know one of the best offenses in all of college football. And against the Heisman Trophy winner, they were able to play catch up uh, with with an, a team and an offense that is not particularly catch up, you know, oriented. And they didn't do it with big kick returns or defensive touchdowns, etc. So um, that was just a really impressive performance to me. And then in the in the nightcap, uh, Alabama Clemson. Um, I will be the first to say I I had this one wrong. And you had this one right. I I kind of nailed it. Um, I just thought Alabama in an underdog role. I mean, they weren't an underdog; they were favored. But everybody had them as as an underdog against against Clemson, and it just it just felt like the perfect place for for Nick Saban to to work from a, a team that had been really banged up on defense and couldn't stop you know Auburn on the road a really good Auburn team on the road I might add uh, against you know I think I, I think there's a lot of, of talk about how Alabama's strength of schedule was not that great this year and frankly I think you can say some of the same things about Miami or uh, about Clemson you know Florida State was not what they should have been um, this season that they got an Auburn team at, at the very beginning of the year before they really gelled, certainly on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, Clemson played Miami, which um, I I think offensively was a very one-dimensional team and uh, also a team that if they weren't getting turnovers really struggled to, to generate um, uh, energy uh, on, on, on their offensive side of the ball. And outside, of, I mean, the rest of the ACC, you know, I mean, NC State was all right, but you know, not not great. Pitt was down. Um, Duke was not a great team this year. Virginia Tech is maybe the one other one that you know was good, solid squad, but um, certainly not ready for prime time. So 
I just I, I think there's as may, maybe as many questions about Clemson's strength of schedule and who they played this year as there were Alabama and this looked like vintage Alabama. They just they just shut the door and said no, we're not we're not going to let your freshman quarterback do anything against us and we're not going to let you have big plays and we're just going to you know methodically chop you apart and and win this game and they did they did just that so now we've got as you mentioned sammy an all sec national championship people are are already tearing their hair out i don't know why they weren't tearing their hair out two weeks ago when this possibility was on the table it's like everybody thought clemson was going to beat alabama and it wouldn't be a problem but um i it just like i don't know it is it is what it is and i'll be I'll be really bloody impressed and surprised if Kirby Smart can outsmart his old boss. Yeah, I mean, it, it really seems just inevitable that Alabama's going to come away with this one. Um, you know, that defense is just insane. And, you know, as, as good as George's defense is as well, I just, I'm having a hard time seeing Georgia as good as their running game is, I have a hard time seeing them be able to put up any points on Alabama. It's going to be a low-scoring game. I, I don't even know what the number is, but I, I, I would say take the under. I think it's We're, 45, so it's pretty low. It is low. Um, Ooh, I, I mean, they're, they're, they're going to score. Like, they're, they're good enough. But here's the thing. Like, <laughs> the, the quarterbacks that have beaten Alabama – And you can maybe go back even as far as 2008 and look at the teams, you know, from from Nick Saban's second year at Alabama on, the only teams that have beaten Alabama have dual-threat quarterbacks. Johnny Manziel, Chad Kelly, Jared Stidham, uh, Cam Newton, Tim Tebow, the plethora of LSU QBs that were run-first QBs, like... This has been the formula. You need a dual threat signal caller to be able to attack this defense effectively. And you also have to have a top notch defense on the other end. I ain't so sure that Georgia's got a top notch defense after watching what Oklahoma did to them. I mean, look at the running yards that Ronnie Anderson was able to put up on Georgia. And maybe they were more worried about Baker Mayfield, but Alabama's running backs and offensive line are going to have a field day. Yeah. If, if Georgia plays that way. And when you couple that with, you know, Jake Fromm is a great, uh, he established himself last weekend as a great pro style passer, a great pocket passer. He's probably got an NFL, uh, career potential in front of him, but those quarterbacks, do not beat Alabama, and it's because their their coverage schemes are so complex and and, and hard to read. Uh, their their corners are so good and so physically opposing that unless you have um, a wide receiver like Julio Jones or uh, AJ Green, it, it is it is hard to to beat them one on one and. You you need all those things going for them and for you and Georgia doesn't have any of those things really going for them. Now that being said, would you be surprised? Like, how surprised would you be if Georgia wins? I wouldn't be shocked, and the, and and I guess the reason is because uh, Alabama's offense has not been super impressive this year. Um, they have Calvin Ridley. They have a stable of great running backs. Their O line spectacular. 
I think Jalen Hurts is really good and gets a bit of a raw deal. He's not a great he's not a great passer. Um, watching him run away from Clemson defenders who you know are lightning fast was really damn impressive, uh, especially considering his size. But like he would get like like he can hang in the pocket two extra seconds <laughs> because he's so fleet of foot and um and 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 is able to evade pressure at at the literal last second. So, I mean, if there's an Achilles heel for, for Alabama, it's that I think last year and the year before, like Lane Kiffin was so good as an offensive coordinator and, you know, really added an element of, of, of dynamic uh, attacking to that offense that they don't, they don't have this year. They're much more um, pedestrian and vanilla, but I guess I would still be, on a scale of one to ten, I think I'd be a six in terms of surprise if Georgia wins. At the same time, they've been so good all year that I I wouldn't be shocked. All right, well, uh, yeah, I I think my viewing plan is probably to watch the the coaches' film room just because I've gotten so much out of that the past few years it's been such an amazing broadcast will gary patterson be in the coach's room again because he was incredible last uh weekend yeah I, I i didn't catch it last weekend but i i i don't know who the who the slate is this weekend but hopefully he, he's I, so familiar with oklahoma that apparently like you could see him wincing when uh when oklahoma wouldn't be lined up right on defense and he was he was just spot on with all of his analysis. Like he was head and shoulders beyond everybody else. Well, he doesn't, he doesn't know these other two teams that well, but um, maybe, I don't know. I would imagine you'd have a fair, fairly decent representation of sec coaches. Get get Mark Richt in that room. Please get Mark Richt in that room. Oh boy. That would be awesome. Uh, So we'll go ahead and leave it there for tonight as we uh, continue our search for the Swoley Grail. I'm going to take this opportunity with John not on the call to uh, announce the winner of our little game, and that is John. <laughs> hey! Um, so we all picked five teams at the beginning of the year. Uh, they had to have amassed in total no more than 40 wins last season, including bowls um, and championship games, etc. John has uh, taken, for the first time all year, a very slight lead 51 to 50 over me and he has the opportunity to get one more win with Alabama. Um, I needed both USC and Auburn to, uh, to come through for me to have a, have a, have a real shot here. Every single one of John's teams won their bowl. I might add he had uh, Northwestern Alabama uh, Boise state. Uh, I'm, I'm forgetting the other, the other two, but uh, Texas was another one. Um, but yeah, he he went five for five, which was pretty impressive. And you might get a sixth if Alabama pulls out this championship. So, congratulations to John. This is two years in a row that he has won this little game. Um, I didn't give him, you know, a prayer in hell last year when he picked uh, O for UCF, but somehow somehow he's gotten it done. I think maybe the secret is picking Alabama. So maybe we should make sure maybe we should not allow Alabama to be selected <laughs> like next year. Or Sammy, you and I should also both take Alabama. Yeah. Um, we'll, Even that we'll, out. 
Yeah, we'll we'll see how that all plays out. But uh, I thought I thought my Auburn pick was golden when they beat Alabama in the Iron Bowl, and then um, dumb Georgia in the SEC championship game kind of ruined it for me. But uh, c'est la vie. So congrats to John, and I'm glad he's not here to gloat. And uh, for the second year in a row, I finished a distant third. I am not good at this game. Oh, you you got such bad luck with Florida State this year. Like you should have had six more wins and been right in the mix with us. Ah. Maybe not six, four more wins. Still have been right <laughs> in the mix with us. That would have put you at 50. Yeah. Uh, just like last year, how I needed to do a last-second uh, swap of Texas and Colorado just so I could be competitive into bowl season. <laughs> anyway. Um, my final thought as we get into – or as we get back into – Big Ten basketball play. Uh, Northwestern uh, played Nebraska last night. Um, no Brian McIntosh. Uh, as as Northwestern fans had a bit of a collective double just rectum clenching as uh, Clayton Thorson goes down with a knee injury. The next day, Brian McIntosh goes down with a knee injury. We all died inside. Yeah, fortunately, McIntosh's knee injury wasn't nearly as bad. Uh, he should only miss like a, a game or two. But, uh, without McIntosh, uh, the Cats kind of stumbled down the stretch. Uh, we're tight with Nebraska most of the way, but, uh, ended up just falling off the edge late and, uh, lost by, I think it was 20 or so. Um, the season is not going the way I think most most had hoped. Um, I, I know we had worried uh, and, you know, are continuing to worry you know, about this season, you know, with all of the expectations, uh, you know, being ranked at the start of the season. Our, uh, our, our veritable karmic antenna were up yeah. coming into the season. And I, I think I tweeted last night, like, Everything has gone wrong, and I can't even be mad about it because I kind of expected it to happen. <laughs> it, it's it's really true, and you know you gotta wonder is is you know playing away from campus, it, it you know not having that energy, if, if that's a, a factor at all. I'm, sh- I, I'm sure it is. It's I, got. I'm, it, I'm 100 sure it is. I mean you you have you have to have you know be able to to dig into that you know deep reserve to really you know get over the hump with some of those, you know, tight games. And, you know, when, when you just don't have that, when you're playing it at best, a neutral site and, you know, at, at worst, you know, a road game as, as it was for Illinois and as it will be for much for, I, I would say probably most of the big 10, uh, get, you know, home games, you know, with so many, uh, big 10, alumni uh in the area and it's an easy trip out to out to rosemont uh for the for those games this could end up being a a rough season and you know it it sucks if that's how we're going to send uh mcintosh off um and and the rest of the seniors but uh the season is not over um you know we do have you know most of big 10 play to go so there there is a chance to turn it around but yeah i think we're all sort of revising our expectations and sort of re-centering our uh, our bar if you will yeah i think everybody's expecting no tournament at this stage cats basically need to get healthy and win a ton of big 10 games 
um, for that for that to to reemerge on on the possibilities list. But I don't know. I the the combination of you know coming off of last year, not being at home. Um, I think it's worth mentioning. Like, and you made you made the good point about about the home court advantage and how that helps. Welsh Ryan was a good home court advantage for Northwestern. It's not like Ryan Field uh, for the football team, which is, you know, probably um, slightly above neutral at best. Uh, Welsh Ryan was a, a net positive for the for the basketball team, and to not have that I, I certainly think hurts this year. So, say la vie. It is what it is. Um, I don't think this is going to derail the, the progress that is being no, made. No, no, not at basketball. all program when you look at the recruiting etc but um it is it is a bummer to not be able to to feel like we're building on last year's success uh on the court this season uh it's a marathon not a sprint um you know i i we we knew that this was coming with with the stadium renovations and you know as, as much as you know welsh ryan was a you know it is a great home court advantage i can't wait to see what their new Welsh Ryan will look like because you know if if it's you know it's going to be even more intimate and you know having everyone right on top of you instead of just the sides um, could be really really cool. I can't I can't wait to see what what that looks like next year. Uh, so we'll go ahead and leave it there for this week. Head to our website westlotpirates.com where you can leave comments and questions. You can find us on Facebook. Find us on Twitter at Westlot Pirates. Call our voicemail line, 847-231-CATS. That's 847-231-2287. And email the show, westlotpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the West Lot of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Scousboy, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.